Good evening, everybody. Let's all stand and we'll start with a word of prayer. Dave, would you open us for a prayer, please? Amen. Let's all take your hymnals. Turn to hymn number 423. Hymn number 
Man, if you all want to, okay, teens, you can go. He told me they were just going to get up and leave, and then he must not have got it worked out or something. I don't know. He just decided to mess with me, man. Ephesians chapter 4, where we'll be this evening, titled tonight is Learn Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we've got a lengthier passage we'll read tonight, so I won't have you stand, but we'll read verses 17 down through chapter 5 and verse 2. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, the Bible says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as the Gentiles walk, not in the vanity of their mind, or sorry, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, having given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But, verse, tw or verse 20, ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil." 
Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands at thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Go in prayer, Lord, I do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word and the truths we see in it. Lord, I pray you would enable me to make clear the message you have for us this evening. I pray that you be honored and glorified all that is said and done. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The Bible states very clearly that there is a road that leads to heaven and there is a road that leads to hell. And uh, as we see it, as we'll look at it, it is not the road that saves us unless by it you're talking about the way, and that way being Jesus Christ. But the, the road to heaven is not what saves you, though. The, the, and by that, I mean the road or the path that we are to walk as a believer. And that's kind of what we'll be looking at this evening. In our text today, Paul exhorts us not to walk in the vanity of the mind. Uh, he starts off there in verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify and the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. Testify here is to beseech as in, in God's name, to solemnly exhort. He is uh, with this basically saying, I, I'm very serious about this. Right? I want you to really capture this. So I testify it in the Lord, that you would not walk as Gentiles walk. So we'll look at the road or the walk that a believer is to have. In verses 17 through 19, we first see the vanity of the carnal mind or the, the natural man. As we read those verses, the apostle tells him not to walk in the uh, vanity of the carnal mind as the heathen do, as the other Gentiles, as, as these uh, in Ephesus once were. He said, don't be like they are, like you used to be. Not to walk as they walk. He then explains the heathen's mindset and why they do as they do. He, he tells those at Ephesus that they are how they are no longer to walk. The definition of vanity used here is it an emptiness, as it does in other places in Scripture. It is devoid of truth. It is perverseness. It is depravity. It is frailty. It is want of vigor. It is... Uh, it is that emptiness of life. It is a lacking. that they, they walk in that darkness. There's nothing there for them. There's nothing there for us. And yet they walk in it because, and we'll get into that here, because it says then that their understanding is darkened in verse 18. Understanding there's, it speaks of emotions as well as their intellect. It's the mind and maybe how, how they feel about things and their understanding, how, how they view things, how they think of things, how they feel about things, all of it, all of how the, their worldview would be even is darkened, the Bible says. Their understanding is dark, darkened there is, I mean, it's simple, it's to be covered with darkness. There's no light in it. There's, really, there's no good to be found in it. Often we seek to find the good in others, or we seek to maybe even view the best of others, and nothing wrong with that. Especially believers, we are to seek for the best in them and, and not try to find their flaws. But as we look at this, and we're looking at as the unbelievers walk, as the, the unbelieving Gentiles walk, and, and their darkness, or the, having their understanding darkened, there is no light, there, there's no truth in their understanding. If perchance it seems something does align, it's not by design, but just that maybe somehow some truth slipped into their understanding, maybe a teaching in childhood or something like that. But their understanding is darkened. The mind is alienated from the life of God, the Bible says. 
being in this circumstance, they are shut out from all fellowship, from all intimacy with God. They cannot know Him. They do not know Him. They are alienated through ignorance, the Bible says, or lack of knowledge. It is a, a moral blindness. Again, as we said, their view is darkened. It's darkness. They, they don't see good. There are any... I might have to, should have looked up the definition earlier, but morality, the, the, their moral code is not one taken out of Scripture. Right? It's not light, it's not bright, it, it, and any, again, any good they do is mostly just because maybe it's the law that was set upon them, and not because their inner code says, oh, well, I can't do this. Morally, they are dark. And they are alienated through this moral blindness. They don't see the truth of God. They are alienated because of the blindness of their hearts. The Bible says it is uh, it the idea of covering with a callus. If you've worked hard and you've gotten calluses on your hands, or maybe you're one of the people, I can't understand it at all, but you're one of those people that walk around barefoot all the time. You get some calluses on your feet. And you step on something on the callus. You don't feel it the same as someone with, that wears shoes all the time suddenly steps on a rock or a Lego. They feel those things. That's the idea. Their heart is overgrown with calluses. They don't feel the, the pricking of the truth of the good. They are blind to it. They, they have grown cold to the truth of God. Their perception is dulled. And they are stubborn and unrepentant. Now, as the description given of the, the carnal mind, the natural man, and if we're not careful, we can walk back into that way. And we'll see, uh, we're not to. We are saved from that. We're no longer to partake in those things. But if we're not careful, we can easily fall back into the carnal mindset, the, the natural man. He says there, being past feeling in verse 19. It is the idea then, uh, kind of with that, of uh, the growing of calendar, the hardened heart, is that they cease to feel pain. They no longer would even really be willing to... They're, they're dulled to their own troubles and thereby are dulled to the troubles and the heartache of those around them. They, they, there's no focus on anyone else, only self. And they are dulled to the pain. They're simply just trying to get through life, really. They cease to feel the pain. They become callous or insensible to it. And they're given over, the Bible says, unto lasciviousness, which is an unbridled lust. It is excess. It is a wantonness. It is outrageousness, shamelessness, or the lack of having the shame that they ought to have, um, and, they're, and they're insolent, or they are mocking towards the right. Uh, there's a lot there, but I, I don't have time for all of it, so we'll just keep going. But the, the fundamental idea of given here that they have no restraints, right? They, they've completely given themselves over to the lust of the flesh, really. They're... Whatever it is they desire, they go for it. The Bible says they're working with all uncleanness. It is, again, that same idea there is the impurity of lustful living, and giving themselves over to what they desire, what they want. It doesn't matter what is good. It doesn't matter what is holy. It doesn't matter what God has said. But they've given themselves over to their, to their lusts. And then they, they do it with greediness, or that is covetousness. Luke 12 and verse 15, Jesus uh, said, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. But that is the natural of man's desire. It is very quickly towards covetousness. I've heard different things said, and, and I can't say that I'm the one that's right, but my view of it is, um, as far as in man, individual people's lives, basically the root of all of our sin really comes down to pride and selfishness very closely tied together. 
is that covetousness is, you know, I should have what they have. And then really anything else that we can go to, is, and I don't remember, Leslie and I were talking about it not just a few days ago, I don't remember now, but is that really any idea in the fact, or any sin that we would commit is placing self over God, is saying, you know, God, I want to do this. I know you've said it's not right, it's not holy, that's not good for me, but I want it. We set ourselves up in our pride as the God over our own lives. Whether we would view it that way or not, whether that's how we would describe it, that is how God would see it. So we put away this greediness, that covetousness. And I don't know if it's all in my studies or if it's in my notes later on, but elsewhere in Scripture, I can't remember the reference right now. If we run across it, that's great, but... uh, uh, it's written, I believe, in one of the epistles that he said, Let not covetousness be named once among you. This, this covetousness, the desire for what someone else has, should never be in the heart or the life of the believer. Be content with such things as ye have. And we can because he is with us and will never forsake us. Secondly, then, in following in verse 20 down through 24, we see the renewed mind in Christ. First, we see that carnal mindset and how he's telling us not to walk. Don't be as they are. Verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ. These are not the things you've learned in Christ. You may be doing these things, but if you are, it's because you haven't learned Christ. But as a child of God, you are to have learned Christ. You are to take on his teaching as we see then in verse 21. If so, be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. These are not the things as the previous verses that we've learned in Christ while walking or or while walking in the way that that being Jesus, walking in him, walking in the spirit, we're to have our, our minds renewed in him. We're to receive the renewed mind that re- Receiving the renewed mind requires learning the truth in Christ, as we read there in verse 21. It says, we have heard him. We, we have heard him. Some, Bible times, they, they heard him physically. They heard his teaching while he was on earth. But we have still heard him. His word has been recorded for us. We have heard him through his word. It says, if you've heard him, and in hearing him, you have been taught by him. He has tried, at least, to teach you these things. Whether or not you've grasped them, that's kind of what Paul's getting at here. But we have heard these things. We've been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Receiving the renewed mind then requires repentance and change. In verse 22, that she put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. We're to, that idea of putting off, that is that repentance, that is putting away or turning away from, that is not holding that which we used to hold to, it is not walking as the Gentiles walk, but is being renewed in our mind, it is walking in Christ. Receiving the new mind requires that repentance, it requires a change it is that putting off uh, is to as uh, the idea of as you would take off a jacket, you would take it off and you lay it aside. We are to do the same. Like, it, typically, it, it, if you're, unless you're out and about, maybe you have to carry it around. If you're say you're at home, you find yourself warmer than you want to be. You take off your sweater that you were wearing when you were out or something. You take off a layer. And you lay it off to the side. You're not just going to then hold it on your shoulder as you go about doing all your other chores and everything else that you have to do. You take it off and you, you lay it aside. And likely, for, at least for the instance of this, you're not going to put it back on. You're staying active. If anything, you're getting warmer and warmer. You're, get, you're getting towards the goal that you have set to do. You're not going to go back and put anything that's going to hamper your progress. So that's the idea here. Is you take it off. You lay it aside. As, as you would an unwanted garment. Concerning the former conversation, he says here, is the, the increase of knowledge to be 
or, or to be increased in knowledge. It is to hear or to be informed. It is to learn by use and practice. Not that we would just hear these things, but that we would implement it into our lives. And he's going to tell us many things here in the following verses, what we are to implement in our lives, what we are to do to practice. The idea there is to be in the habit of or accustomed to, that it would become the new nature. The old nature would be pushed off, but that you would be accustomed to the new, that it would be habit in your life. The old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. We are putting off the old man which is corrupt. The old man there is the, the old life of sin. The Bible says he is already crucified in Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So again, Paul saying the old man's he should be gone. I mean, we keep bringing him back. We keep turning back towards him, but he should be gone. He's, he was crucified with Christ. He's to be out of our lives, and we are to walk in the new. We are to no longer, according to Romans 6, verse 6, to ever turn back towards him. He was corrupt. He was defiled. He was destroyed. Receiving the renewed mind then also requires renewal in the spirit of the mind. First he says to put off there in verse, uh, I lost it, verse 22. Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Verse 24, in that ye put on the new man. As we already said, we're, we're taking off one. We're putting on the, the new that we would become accustomed to, that this would become habit in our lives. It's not enough that just to put off the old, but you must then replace it with the new. As I said, to get rid of one habit, you must replace it with something new. Like Typically, you don't just stop doing one thing that, that you are habit, that you, you don't think about doing it, you just do it. You have to if you no longer want to do that thing, you in, intentionally decide not to do it. And every time you would think of, or you, you would go towards doing that, you would stop and intentionally do something else to replace that. And that's the idea here. Every time that we would turn back towards the old man, every time we would turn back towards that sin which so easily beset us, we would turn towards the new that God is telling us, that we would turn towards the good that, he's going to, that he tells us here to put on. The new man, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10, having put on the new man which is renewed in, the knowledge, in knowledge after the image of him that created him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. The Bible says there in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Zealous, there's an idea, it is defined as showing great energy or great enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or objective. And that is the, the way that we are to pursue being renewed in Christ. To, is the way we are to pursue this new man or this new life in Christ and, and putting him on with a zealousness, with a, a zeal towards uh, that, that we would eagerly, that we would energetically, that we would enthusiastically seek to live that out in our lives. That's the idea he's giving us here. John 17 and verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. We're going to be renewed in our minds. We must first then be in the truth. You're not going to know what to put on if you're not in his word. If you're not finding the truths that he tells us to perform, that he tells us to do, if you're not seeking out the, the good works, 
that he says we were ordained towards, that he, he has <clears throat> planned for us towards. Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So uh, again, we kind of as we look at this and the idea, every one of us has responsibility towards this. But as we seek to do this, we know we can't do it of ourselves, right? Yet you have responsibility to put on the new man. You have responsibility towards doing good, towards doing good works in Christ, that He would be glorified in your life. But even in that, with the responsibility that we have, we can't do it of ourselves. So we, we do it even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Allow Him to have His work in your heart and life. It is by the teaching of His Word that we are renewed. And number three this evening, the renewed mind controlled the renewed life. Verses 25 and down through verse 32. The rest of this, I think, will go fairly quickly, but... We put away lying there in verse 25, wherefore put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Put away lying, don't lie. That's fairly simple, I would think. But, and it gives a greater import to it. As he kind of here speaking very specifically even towards a believer's conduct with other believers. Right, obviously lying wrong in general. Don't do it. But then he gives more towards it here in verse 25. Not only don't lie, but speak the truth with your neighbor. And he says we are members one of another. And that brings in the idea of that church there is we are members of one body here in Christ. And as being members one of another, we are to speak truth. We are to edify. We are not to lie and to tear down or to, to seek to destroy the testimony of a fellow believer. To put away lying. Put away sinful anger in verse 26. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And there are things in this world that the believer should be angry at. We should be angry towards. There is wickedness in the world that it would seem only the coldest and hardest of hearts would not be stirred with anger against. But there are things to be angry towards. But be angry and sin not. The Apostle Paul warns us against sinning in our anger. It has been said that when you are angry... You are at sin's door. Therefore, we must not abide in our anger. Do not dwell in it. Be angry. Be angry at wickedness. Be angry at sin. That, that God hates it. Be angry, but sin not. Don't let anger toward, against wrong then push you into doing wrong. He says there in verse 27 to neither give place to the devil. If you're put away yieldedness to Satan, don't give him place. Don't give him room in your heart. Don't give him quarter or license to do anything in you. And this first primarily done, I think, follows verse 26 for a reason. Often when we're angry, we get out of the spirit and we allow the flesh or the world or Satan to gain place in our hearts. Verse 28, put away stealing. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather labor with your hands. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, moreover it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Labor with your hands. Put away stealing. Give to the needs. Rather than, one, you're not stealing, you're laboring with your hands. You're, you're working. You're trying to gain honestly. But then that's not it. It's not just don't steal and gain honestly, but then also don't steal, but also give. Give of yourself. Give of what you have. Give of what God has given you. 
2 Corinthians 9, verses 7 and 8, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. We see here that when we give cheerfully to His work, that God promises to us that we will have enough. Right? It doesn't mean you're abundant necessarily. Sometimes that's how God blesses, but that's not the promise here. But that He will be sufficient for us. It doesn't even mean that we will never want. There will be times of want likely. There will be times of less than what we think we ought to have. But He is sufficient. It says that working with your hands that which is good. That is naturally good or has a good nature. That which is useful. That which is pleasant or agreeable or joyful or happy or upright and honorable. In verse 29, put away corrupt communication. The Bible says to let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Put away corrupt communication, that is corrupt, rotten, or putrid. It is the opposite of good speech. Speak to edification. Again, this goes to the purpose of our mouths. That we are not here to tear others down, we are, but rather to, to build them up or to edify them. The, the way we speak to others or about others should be for their benefit, that it would minister to them. For other believers, that they might grow in Christ, and for unbelievers, that they might come to the saving knowledge of Christ. That our speech would be edifying and not corrupt. Put away grieving the Holy Spirit in verse 30. Galatians chapter 5 and verses 16 and 25. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Verse 30 of our text says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. When we aren't walking in the way as we should, then we are grieving the Spirit. Anytime we walk as the Gentiles walk, anytime that we give over to uh, the, the lust of the flesh or, the, or give over to our covetousness or we give over to maybe even our grief or our anger towards maybe even some wrong that someone else did. Anytime we give o- ourselves over to those things, we grieve the Spirit. Because you're not walking in Him. And anytime we are not walking in Him, He is grieved. Just as the Christian parent wants to see their, their child walking in the way of the Lord, and just, just as they are grieved for times that their child does not walk in the Lord, we, we grieve the Spirit when we refuse to live the renewed life. In verse 31, it tells us to put away bitterness. Bitterness here is described as an extreme enmity or a grudge, is hatred, or uh, rather an excessive degree or implacableness of passions and emotions. It is, I mean, as we often would think of bitterness, basically, it is, Evil thought towards, really. It is not, it is the opposite of graciousness in the Christian life. It, it is turning what should be a good brotherly or Christian fellowship relationship into enmity. It is, as I said, the idea of holding a grudge. You know, they, they slighted me, they did something wrong, they said something bad about me was or wasn't true. Or they received some evil news of me and whatever it is, that we, that then they would be easily take place towards that bitterness there. Put away bitterness. Put away 
wrath. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. We're not going to go deep into each one of those there, but we are to put away wrath or that indignation there. We are to put away uh, anger and, uh, or put away clamor or put away that evil speaking. Evil speaking, there's not just bad language, right? It's not just cuss words. It's not just things that a Christian ought not to say, or really anybody ought not to say. It's not just taking the Lord's name in vain. Evil speaking here is any speech that is not towards edifying. It is gossip. It is backbiting. It is anything that does not build up a fellow Christian. Anything that It is anything that would seek to tear down or to destroy. Put away all evil speaking. And malice, there's a, again the idea of an extreme enmity of heart. It is a disposition to injure others often without cause. He says to put away all of these things. He gives us, it seemed like many of the, the things, as he's talking about the renewed mind here. He's talking about most, I mean, it starts off with, hey, do these things. Live in Christ, live in Christ. And as you do that, put this away, and put this away, and put this away. And all these things that we are to put off, again, going back to the first, these are the things of the carnal mind. But then verse 32, again, and be ye kind. It's told us a lot of don'ts. Don't do this, don't do this. And occasionally in there, instead of don't do this, do this. But most of it's don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And then the great resolve for all of it, really we find in our last few verses, 32 and verses 1 and 2 of the next chapter. We'll look at those very quickly here. As we're to put off all these things, again we can go back to putting on, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And uh, those things listed there, at least to me, seem very simple, right? They're very straightforward, there's plain, there's not a lot of thing, there's a lot of depth that we would seem to have, I would think, have to dive into to be kind. I mean, especially as a believer, we should fairly naturally know what is and isn't kind. We often, when a child misbehaves or they do something wrong towards another child, we say, hey, that's not kind. We don't do those things. That's kind of what Paul is saying here, backing up, put off these things. Why? They're not kind. They're not, as we'll get down to in the next chapter, but they're not loving they're not kind. They're not good. They're not edifying. So be kind one to another. Be tender-hearted, or that is, uh, very susceptible of the softer passions of love, pity, or kindness. Tender-hearted is quickly ready to take on the the hurt or the feelings of others. Quickly ready to to go to their aid, not caring that maybe they've never helped you in the past. You're tender-hearted towards them. And you really can only do those two things if you have first done the last thing mentioned here in chapter 4, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Usually, if not always, you are not going to be kind, maybe outwardly, not in your heart, and you're definitely not going to be tender-hearted towards those that you have ought against. If, you, if you've not forgiven as God, for Christ's sake, had forgiven you. Forgiving one another as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. To truly learn Christ, as we're talking about it, to truly 
learn Him, to be renewed in Him, to put Him on. We must understand in what, or we must have an understanding of His forgiveness. And I imagine most of us here would know these things, or I would hope so anyway, but a forgiveness, Christ's forgiveness, God's forgiveness for Christ's sake is a forgiveness that has no limits. It never stops. It never says, well, I forgave you for that seven times. Or even, it doesn't stop at 70 times seven. It forgives and it forgives and it forgives. There is no limit to God's forgiveness. Psalm 103 and verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. It's hard in our temporary minds probably to really grasp or even to to do this, to often, especially if it's a reoccurring thing, you know, maybe they apologize, we forgive, and then the next time it happens, you're again? It's not, oh, first time. Again and again. How many times are you going to do this to me? It gets harder and harder to forgive, but that's not how God forgives us. They're never remembered. Um, Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So then how do you forgive? Right, word forgive as Christ forgives often, and I have fallen short of that mark of forgiveness. That's one of the hardest things in Scripture, I think, is to forgive as He forgives. That along with loving as he loves. And that's kind of the last thing that we'll look at if I can get to it. But Forgive as he forgives. How, how are we forgiving? Is it... You know, you've got six months to get this straightened out. And after that, if you don't have it figured out, we're done. Or is it... You've wronged me again, but... I forgive you. I don't hold this to your account. I don't remember it. The next time we see each other, it'll be like this never happened. Mark 11, verse 25, And when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And I've eaten up most all of our prayer time this evening, but the last two verse, or first two verses of chapter 5 there, be followers of God as dear children. Be followers of God. Walk in love as Christ hath loved us, he says. He hath given himself for us as an offering, as a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. As, as followers of God, we are to walk in his love. We are to forgive as He forgives. We are to walk in His love. In John chapter 13 and verse 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. We want God to continue to forgive us. He says, forgive. We want the world to know that we are followers of God, that we are dear children of His. Then we are to love one another. I asked, how do we... How do you forgive, but how, how do you love? Do you love one another? Love always seeks the best for the other first. Love will, always, or love will live as was described with the new mind in Christ. Love never tears down, but instead, uh, if love is wronged, or if wrong was done, love seeks to restore. Often, maybe, in our mindsets, we could say, I forgive. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to let myself become bitter over it. Forgiving is not just for the offender. It is for our own selves. It is for our hearts. But we could say, you know, I'm not going to hold it against you. I won't allow myself to become bitter over this. But at the same time, fail to seek a restoration. Fail to allow love to have its work. 
and be like, I forgive you. I'm I'm not going to hold it against you, but also things can't ever be good again. That's not love. That's not the love of Christ. That's not the love that he showed in dying for us on the cross. Now, as we close and let's go straight into our prayer time, but I ask you, Christian, are you, or not are you, but you are on the high road. You, you are in Christ. You're a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You are on the new road. But are you living in such a way that others can see that you're on that new road? Your mind has been or is in the process of being renewed. The Bible says you have learned Christ. These are the things that we have learned in Christ. These are the truths that He has taught us from His Word. Let the Spirit of God control your life and walk as dear children of God. Lord, I do thank You for Your goodness in these truths. Help us to implement them. It's not an easy thing. It is not a one-two quick thing done in our lives or some one-by-one step program that we can necessarily do, but that we would simply continually yield our hearts, our lives to your control and continually be in your word that we would learn these truths, that we would know these truths in our hearts and minds, and that as we do that, we would be renewed into them. That we would walk in these things constantly, faithfully putting off the old. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.